0: for us to do today but and she came secretly uncovered his feet and lay down at midnight Boaz was startled turned over and there lying at his feet was a woman so he asked who are you I am Ruth your servant she replied take me under your wing for you are a family redeemer and I'll explain what that means in a few moments as well. Then he said, "May the Lord bless you, my daughter. You have shown more kindness now than before, because you have not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor." Now we were discussing this last night uh, at our at our dinner table. Um, my oldest daughter was very upset that um, Boaz was probably a bit older than Ruth, and she thought Boaz was a dog, and I, I don't think he was um, he was maybe 30 or so, I mean, we're just, you know, spitballing here, she was previously married, so, you know, women married young in that day, maybe 14, uh, so we're, you know, probably estimating at this point, you know, she got divorced, moved to, to Bethlehem, maybe she's 16, 18 years old, so not, you know, a big difference, but, you know, they're, they're worse than Hollywood and stuff, right? Alright, so at midnight, Boaz was startled, she's there, da da, da 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 take me under your wing. Now don't be afraid, my daughter, I will do for you whatever you say, since all the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. So several weeks have passed, and people in Bethlehem know, like, this woman Ruth, she's, she's a godly woman. Yeah, she's from Moab, but, but she has a good character, she's a woman of integrity. Yes, it is true that I am a family redeemer, but there is a redeemer closer than I am. Stay here tonight. We'll talk about that joker next week. Stay here tonight, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you. But if he doesn't want to redeem you, as the Lord lives, I will. Now lie down until morning. So she lay down at his feet until morning. But got up while it was still dark. Then Boaz said, Don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. And he told Ruth, Bring the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she held it out, he shoveled six measures of barley into her shawl, and she went into the town. She went to her mother in law, Naomi, who asked her, What happened, my daughter? Don't spare any of the details. Then Ruth told her everything the man had done for her. She said, he gave me six measures of barley because he said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Naomi said, my daughter, wait until you find out how things go, for he won't rest unless he resolved this today. Okay, let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is true. We thank you for, as we've prayed over these last few weeks, the people in scripture like Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz, who are real people that dealt with just real struggles in life, real temptations and anxieties and stressors. And God, you moved in their lives just like you're moving in our lives here today. So Jesus, we pray that you will do something in us that only you can take credit for. God, change our hearts and our minds. Do something, Jesus, where we cannot help but give you glory, honor, and praise. We thank you and we pray in your name. Amen. So here's our big idea for this morning. Jesus can clean up your mess. We did a sermon series several years ago, and some of you might remember this. um, Lord, bless this mess. It was one of my favorite sermon series I've done here. And uh, this has a similar feel to that series, and I'll I'll get into that in a minute. But earlier this week, I had a, a breakfast appointment planned with a friend. And as I pulled out of my driveway... He called and said, Darren, I'm going to have to cancel our meeting this morning. Now, I'm going out of the house. I didn't have a sweatshirt on and sweatpants. I actually kind of dressed up a little bit. You know, that whole COVID thing, right? So I'm, I'm dressed up at this point. I actually put on cologne, too. I don't know why. I was going to meet with a dude, but I guess I wanted to be like Ruth. I don't know. But, um, but I was all dressed up with no place to go. So I decided, you know what, I actually said it out loud to myself because I'm weird, but I said, uh, I'm going to take myself out to breakfast this morning. And uh, I did. So I pulled back into my driveway, ran into the house, grabbed my Bible, grabbed a few commentaries because I figured, you know, while I'm eating breakfast by myself and being that guy, I'll study, you know, God's word a little bit and I'll pray uh, and and prepare for this sermon here on Sunday. And so I drove to Old Saybrook and had uh, breakfast at the Parthenon Diner, and I sat down, placed my order, classic Eggs Benedict, right, coffee. If you go during the week, you get free coffee and juice at the Parthenon Diner, shout out to them. Now, we went there yesterday, Jenny and I did, um, and uh, it's not on the weekends, so you have to go during the week, free coffee, free juice. So, I don't even know the owner, but I hope they give me a few dollars for this, or at least a free breakfast. Well, after a few minutes, I'm kind of reading, I'm studying, I'm doing this thing, I'm sipping my coffee and, uh, and I paused and I was just kind of thinking and processing about what I was reading and studying and, and I looked down and, and, you know, right there before me was a placemat, right? And it had, you know, one of those advertising placemats and one of the advertisements, top center of the placemat said, life gets messy, we'll help you clean it up. I took a picture of it, you can see it right there. There's a lady vacuuming tile for some reason. She's vacuuming tile. Um, And I thought, you know, whoever they are, Allah made, they can clean my house, right? They do a great job cleaning my house, but they can't clean up my life. They can't clean up my life. Only Jesus can clean up the mess in my life. And that's, that's how we arrived at the big idea this morning. Do you see how God works sometimes? (laughs) Through a placemat, right? See, our lives, though, they're not always clean and tidy, right? I mean, our our lives really are actually quite messy. And whether we've created the mess, or, or whether someone else created the mess for us, which happens, right, our lives are anything but immaculate, neat, and orderly. But it's in the messiness of life that we learn this truth that's in Scripture. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. Now, we've preached on this before, but notice the text doesn't say some things. No, it says all things work together for the good of those who love God. So you remember even Joseph, right? Sold into slavery by his brothers Later on in life, he reunites with his brothers and they're feeling really crummy about themselves, as they should have. Joseph looked at them and said, listen, you meant what you did for evil, but God actually meant it for good. And and he actually used this mess for his glory and for his purposes. So life is messy, but Jesus can and will clean up your mess if, if... You surrender your life to him, and if you acknowledge the mess in your life. Well, as I read, and I don't know if you noticed this, but I kind of made mention of it a second. But but Naomi led Ruth into quite a mess, didn't she? And mother-in-law's, listen, mother-in-law's be crazy. I'm just telling you. Can I get an amen? No, I'm not. All right, there we go. He's sitting right next to this right here. He's in trouble. You better pay for that lunch later, Rick. You're in trouble. Now listen, Naomi led Ruth into like a disastrous, what could have been a disastrous situation. And I'll explain a little bit more in a minute. But all things work together for the good of those who love God. Boaz loved God. Ruth loved God. And and God's going to orchestrate His will and His grace through this wild situation, it could have been really, really bad. But again, God used this messy situation for his good and his glory. Well, let's, let's look a little bit deeper at the passage. Verse 1, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, said to Ruth, My daughter, shouldn't I find rest for you so that you will be taken care of? Now, as I said when I was reading the passage, Ruth essentially what name is me, saying, Ruth, how about I find you a husband? Now, arranged marriages 3,000 years ago were quite the norm. So she's actually kind of saying, Look, how about I just, how about I hook you up, right? You've been, you've been in Bethlehem all alone now for a while. Let me take care of you. Now, as an unmarried foreign woman, a Moabite, even though she'd come to faith in the one true God, she's still a foreigner. She's a Moabite, right? She's in Bethlehem. So in so many ways, Ruth had everything going against her. She was an outcast. And even if an Israelite man in Bethlehem thought, you know what? Ruth is a godly woman. She's attractive. She's a hard worker. I want to marry her. Even as an Israelite man, looking at her and thinking all of those things, he could have been viewed as an outcast, For marrying her. So, in a lot of ways, she's a a social pariah. Well, Naomi answered her own questions. You know, she said, You know, Ruth, how about I find you a husband? And then she answers her own question and she says, Now, isn't Boaz our relative? Shouldn't he redeem us? Haven't you been working with his female servants? This evening, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Now, remember, As I said when I was reading the passage, six to eight weeks have passed from the time Ruth stepped on Boaz's field to this point in the story. And we know that because Ruth and Naomi arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. We saw that in chapter 1 at the end of the chapter. And at the end of chapter 2 we're told... Ruth stayed close to Boaz's female servants and gathered grain until the barley and the wheat harvests were finished. So six to eight weeks. We, we kind of know that. So some time has passed. So it's plausible. It is completely plausible because of what happens next and what Naomi had just said. It is completely plausible that what Naomi is thinking is, what is up with this guy? why has boaz not made a pass at ruth it's been two months he's a family redeemer he's single but apparently he's not ready to mingle what's going on with this dude ruth's on the field every day he's been so nice to her she's pretty she works hard she's kind she's respectful She loves the Lord. She's the prototypical Proverbs 31 woman before Proverbs 31 was written. What more is this guy looking for? Like he crosses all the T's and dots all the I's and so does Ruth. Why has nothing happened? Now, Naomi chose not to wait any longer and she decided to... Make something happen. And have you ever done that? I have. Where I've kind of wanted something to happen, and rather than waiting, I've just kind of gave it a little nudge or push. That's kind of what Naomi's doing here. She said to Ruth, Wash. Put on perfumed oil and wear your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, notice the place where he's lying. Go in, uncover his feet, and lie down. Then he will explain to you what you should do. Now, before we proceed, I need to say something. These two verses, as well as what follows, are jammed with sexual innuendo, provocative suggestions, and double entendres. Unfortunately, pastors and Bible teachers tend to neuter this passage. I read articles this week that fabricated the truth in an attempt to clean up the text. And my question for us as Christians is, why do we do that? Why? Why do we feel like we have to take God's word and make it a little bit more acceptable? Why? I don't think God needs our help with that, right? See, when we do that, we miss out on seeing God's redemptive plan in the midst of the mess. This was an awkward, messy situation that Naomi led Ruth into and Boaz into. See, these Bible teachers and these pastors, they mean well, but listen, we cannot and we should not blush or hide the uncomfortable passages in Scripture. And there's a lot of them. See, when we do that, as I said a second ago, we, we miss out on seeing God's redemptive plan in the midst of the mess. And when we're afraid, and when we try to clean up passages like this, when we're afraid of them as Christians, we're showing our non-Christian friends and family that we're, we're uncomfortable wrestling with the difficult things in the Bible. And when we do that, we lose credibility. Because believe it or not, there are a lot of non-Christians out there that have read the Bible. Or they've heard stories about the Bible. Or they've heard stories like this. And then we go, oh, well, you know, they didn't. this didn't happen or that didn't happen. And then, you know, our non-Christian friends and family are looking at it going, what, are you reading the same thing I'm reading? There's a lot of funky business going on in here. Well, see, the reality is, The Bible is full of sinful people doing sinful things. Abraham was a liar, right? Moses was a murderer. Rahab was a prostitute. David raped Bathsheba. We looked at this a few weeks ago and killed her husband. And we could go on and on. The Bible is full of sinful people doing sinful things, but above all of the mess is God moving his plans and purposes forward. That's the beauty of Scripture. Sinful people that are messed up, that do messed up things, but God is working through it all. See, sin and even bad suggestions by Naomi cannot and will not stop what God is doing. Now, who knows why Naomi suggested that Ruth do what she did. Maybe she was reading some trashy, you know, romance novels. <laughs> I saw one the other day. It showed up on my Kindle, right? I got the Kindle, you know, and I don't know if you all have those, but, but I have the one because I'm cheap sometimes. I didn't want to pay the extra $10 to get the ads removed. And, and I look at my Kindle and, and, you know, it's turned off, but the ad is showing up and it's a romance novel. And I'm looking at it and I'm going, that dude looks like Donald Trump. What's going on here? It was so weird. I should have put that up there for you. But anyhow, Naomi told Ruth. Here's, let, me get to, let me get to the shady part. Naomi told Ruth, get cleaned up. Put on your best outfit. Spray on uh, some Chanel number no. 5. Don't forget your makeup and your lipstick. And tonight when Boaz is asleep, lie down next to him. And when you creep in and you lie down next to him, he's going to tell you what to do. Naomi's scheme is shady at best. First, Boaz could have rejected her advances and shunned her. Because he's a godly man. He could have been like, nope, get lost. You thought you were an outcast now? You wait until tomorrow. Second, he could have taken advantage of her sexually. Who's going to believe the Moabite? Third, Naomi told Ruth to do exactly what prostitutes did in that day. When a farmer or a laborer is done working, prostitutes would creep into the field and into the land and on the threshing floor and lay down next to men. So Naomi seemingly led Ruth into a sex scandal. Now why Ruth went ahead with Naomi's scheme, we have no idea. Now maybe the Moab, remember the Moabites were kind of seedy people. They weren't good people. Now maybe the Moab was not completely out of Ruth. Do you know what I mean? Like some people when they convert to Christianity, it's an overnight change. For some people, like myself, it's a slower change, and the sanctification process takes a little bit longer. So maybe, you know, she's trying to pursue the Lord, but there's still some struggle there, if you know what I mean. Maybe she just wanted to respect her mother-in-law. You know, Naomi's asking me to do this. I need to respect my elder, and I'm just going to listen to her. Maybe that's it. Maybe she thought culturally this wouldn't be an issue. Well, if Naomi's telling me to do this, maybe it's fine in this culture. I don't know. Ruth did exactly what Naomi suggested. She went down, verse 6, to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law had charged her to do. After Boaz ate, drank, and was in good spirits, he went to lie down at the end of the pile of barley, and she came secretly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Now, this is where it's going to get a little shady. So, earmuffs if you're a little bit younger. Like any other landowner, Boaz would have done two things at the end of the barley harvest. First, he would celebrate. So, he would get all of his laborers together, he'd get all of his managers together, and they would have a big party. We need to, I've said this before, we need to have more parties as Christians. And we need to celebrate life more often. So they would celebrate and they would eat and they would drink and they would just have a good time. And then what he would do is, what the, what the uh, owner would do is he would sleep on the threshing floor. Now the threshing floor was a flat surface used to separate the grain from the chaff, what was unusable. And with mounds of good grain just sitting there, Boaz would then sleep on the threshing floor to protect his grain before it could go out and be sold. So while Boaz slept, Ruth crept onto the threshing floor. Now some commentators, mainly those Bible commentators that are a little bit more liberal, suggest that sexual intercourse followed. I don't think so. But at the same time, I don't think the story is as G-rated as we like to assume either. Ruth uncovered, uh, Rachel, if you could put that up there, I think it's verse 6. Ruth uncovered Boaz's feet. The word uncovered, Galah is most often used in the Old Testament in regards to uncovering nakedness or exposing one's uh, business, if you know what I mean. The Hebrew phrase for uncovering a man's feet throughout the Old Testament serves as a euphemism for exposing a man's um, parts. And finally, as I've kind of already said, laying down at someone's feet suggests a readiness for sexual intercourse, what prostitutes did. So the innuendo and suggestive language reveals that both... Now, here's what you got to see. I'm not just saying this just because I'm trying to be like, you know, that preacher. The innuendo and suggestive language reveals both the real temptation. And the awkwardness that existed for Boaz and Ruth. This is real. And this is awkward. And this is something they had to deal with. Naomi led both of them into this messy situation. Well, what happened? What did Ruth do? Textually, we don't know. It's kind of ambiguous, but as I've already suggested, I don't believe that they engaged in sexual intercourse because of what is communicated in the passage. So what do I think happened? What do I think happened? Along with some other Bible um, teachers and commentators, I think Ruth uncovered not just Boaz's feet, but his waist and his legs, and maybe more. And I think she nestled in And I think she spooned him. That's what I think happened. (laughs) Well, look at what transpired next in the story. At midnight, Boaz was startled and turned over and there lying at his feet was a woman. So Boaz rolled over and a lot of commentators suggest he was probably cold because she uncovered him. And he was cold, and he turned over, and he's reaching for his blanket or his outer robe, and there's this woman. And half asleep and startled, Boaz said, Who are you? Why are you here? (laughs) Notice Ruth's response and how it differed. How it differed from what Naomi suggested that she do. Remember, Naomi said, Boaz will tell you what to do. Ruth actually tell, takes the initiative and te- tells Boaz what to do. That's kind of how it is, men, isn't it? <laughs> Women always be bossing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, look at, look, at, look at her response. She said, I am Ruth, your servant. Take me under your wing, for you are a family redeemer. And we see here Ruth's boldness and godliness. See, her goal here is is marriage, not a one-night stand. She said, take me under your wing. Now, in the ancient Near East, the commitment to marry was, was not made with a ring. The man would actually take the corner of his robe and place it over a woman. And the action symbolized, I'm going to protect you, and I'm going to care for you. Ruth wanted Boaz to marry her and told, her, told him, rather, you are a family redeemer. So in a very real sense, Ruth proposed to Boaz. No sexual encounter here. Awkward, messy. But do you see how God used this? And we're going to see it even more next week. Boaz is flattered and complimented Ruth for not chasing other men. May the Lord bless you, my daughter. You have shown me more kindness than before. You have not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor. Let me just say two things real quick here in passing. Men, fellas, notice that even in the midst of a messy and awkward situation, Boaz did not take advantage of Ruth. Single guys. Young fellas. Looking at a few of you. (laughs) Instead, he complimented and encouraged her. Women, notice what Ruth was known for. Did you catch that? Verse 11, all the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Not gossiping. Not making up stories. Not putting people down. Everybody in the town knew she was a woman of noble character. So Ruth respected Boaz, and Boaz clearly respected Ruth. So why didn't Boaz... Propose to her or accept her proposal right away. Why didn't he in the moment say, Okay, I will be your family redeemer? Well, he explained it in verses twelve and thirteen. Yes, it is true that I am a family redeemer, but there is one redeemer closer than I am. And as I said, we'll mention or we'll see him next week. Stay here tonight and in the morning, if he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you. So even in this, Boaz is like, I'm going to do the godly thing and the respectful thing and I'm going to be the man of integrity here and if, if this guy wants to redeem you, well then I just, I just need to step out of the way. But if he doesn't want to redeem you as the Lord lives, I will. I, I will. I'm, I'm taking an oath. I will redeem you. Now lie down until the morning. Now why Naomi sent Ruth again to Boaz instead of the other redeemer, we don't know. Because Naomi would have known about the other Redeemer. She would have known who her family members were, the extended family members in her community. Now, maybe, and this is just a hunch, and we'll see this next week. My hunch is that Naomi knew the other Redeemer, and we'll see this next week. You'll see what I'm talking about. My hunch is Naomi knew that he was a tool bag, and, and Boaz was a stud. So he knew, or she knew rather, the best thing for Ruth to do is, is to stay close to Boaz. Because this other guy, he's a dud. And I don't, I don't want my daughter-in-law with him. Well, Ruth stayed the night, but got up while it was still dark. See, if news got out, right? If news got out that Ruth spent the night with Boaz on the threshing floor, the town gossips would have crushed And some of y'all would have been in on it, would have crushed Ruth's reputation and possibly Boaz's. So he's like, we've got to keep this hush-hush, what happened here. Again, it was messy. It was not as clean as we like to think. Well, before she left, Boaz blessed her once again with some more food. Ruth returned home. She shared with Naomi what took place. And Naomi said, my daughter, wait until you find out how things go, for he won't rest unless he, that's Boaz, resolves this today. So in other words, Boaz is a good and a godly man. And he is not going to rest until this matter is taken care of. Now, Naomi is kind of convinced here that Boaz is going to follow through. And even her advice, and this is where Naomi is kind of going back and forth. Remember, we we saw her as being really bitter and not pleasant as her name suggested. We see her as really bitter. God is against me. I'm against God. We see her kind of changing and softening. But then she gives Ruth this stupid advice in the beginning of the passage. And now here at the end of the passage, she's using language like Boaz, will be there for you, and you need to wait for him. And, and, and isn't waiting an act of faith? So even here, we see Naomi kind of, con, she's conflicted. Like, I, I want to have some control, but at the same time, I know I need to have faith. And now, beginning of the passage, taking matters in her own hands, at the end of the passage, she's like, okay, now I've got to have some faith here. I don't know about you, but I've been conflicted like that before too. How do I take control? But then at the same time, how do I trust God? And it's like this little battle going on inside of us, isn't it? So encouraging Ruth to wait reveals a sense of faith on Naomi's part. She's expecting that God will do something in their lives soon. Now this whole story, from Moab, well really from the beginning, from Bethlehem to Moab, back to Bethlehem, life was not easy for Naomi and then as Ruth comes into the picture life's not easy for Ruth it's it's really quite messy but as we started kind of looking at the sermon and this passage thankfully God is in the business of cleaning up messes that's what he does now what do we do with this passage You know, none of you will be sleeping or creeping on a threshing floor tonight, I don't think. So what does this text mean to you? Well, as I've already mentioned, your life will not always be clean and tidy. Today, it might not be clean and tidy. Every other day, you're going to be faced with a choice that has a mixture of good and bad ideas like Ruth, you will at times receive and maybe follow up on some really bad advice. And navigating through this messy world as a messy person means you will at times make a mess and be stuck in a mess. But here's the sweet thing. God knows that. God knows that. And God is not asking you to live a perfect life. He knows you can't. And He knows you won't. But He's asking you to trust and to have faith in His perfect Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus isn't afraid of our mess. That's why He lived the perfect life you could never live. And that's why He died on the cross For all of your sins, your mess. He wants to be in the mess with you and he wants to help you through the mess and out of the mess. Now, Selena already read this passage because, where is she? You've seen my sermon. You're not just a mind reader. But let me read the passage again for you. See, the truth of the gospel is that God stepped into our messy world, into our messy lives, to save us and to set us free from the mess. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So who's going to save you from the mess? Jesus. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So you're in a mess. God's not condemning you because of the mess you're in. So it doesn't matter how messy you are, it doesn't matter if the mess is your fault or not. The invitation in this passage is to come. To come to Jesus and to be cleansed by His grace and His love for you. Just as God moved in the messy situation of Boaz and Ruth, God will move in the messy situation of your life. Amen and amen. See, one of the reasons why I love this short book is yeah, you know, we see kind of a relationship growing. We see this sweet little romance of Boaz and Ruth. But behind the scenes, we see an even greater love story. Where God is graciously saving His people from the messiness of their lives. As I've said week after week, Ruth, And Boaz, you'll see, will take us all the way to Jesus. So God is taking this beautiful love story and creating an even greater and a bigger love story. One that includes you. Amen? See, life is messy. You're messy. But PTL, if you don't know what that is, I love using it praise the Lord, PTL, that Jesus cleans up our messes. Well, let me calm our hearts and our minds as we prepare to take communion here in a moment. Jesus.